Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today's preacher is Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was able to make the Bible relevant to the modern man. In fact, his sermons have grown no less important to those who hear or read them today. After Dr. Barnhouse remarried, he settled into a home on an 82-acre farm near Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Today's message is, Take Heed of Yourself. interesting fact that can form the introduction to our study in the fact that it has been seven weeks since I spoke on Mark. Before that, throughout all the year, I'd been preaching on Mark every Sunday, and seven weeks ago, I preached down to uh, the middle of this chapter, and then came World Communion Sunday, and I preached on communion, and then I was four weeks away in Boston preaching, and then I came back and preached on our missionary Sunday. Now, the text that I used last was to be found there in the 13th chapter where the Lord spoke on the various things that were going to happen at the second coming. And since I spoke on this, the world has changed. Sputnik has arrived. And this is no smiling matter. The last text I preached on seven weeks ago was, There shall be wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. There shall be wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. And here we have, in verse 7, God's statement, wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. Well, someone says the United States is troubled. That's correct. There are many people that are troubled. And the reason they are troubled is because our nation has definitely taken the turning that our hope is in armaments. And we need more than ever before to remember the psalm that says, Though in chariots some put their strength, our trust is in thee. And I think we need more than ever before to say, Though in science some put their strength, our trust is in thee. Well, what we need is science. We need more scientists. Yes, we do. There's no doubt of that fact. I saw the other day the interesting figure that in 1950, the United States universities graduated 78,000 scientists, while in 1956, we graduated only 70,000, a decrease of about 8,000 scientists over that, a year in the course of that time. In the year that we graduated 78,000, Russia graduated only 40,000. But last year, when we graduated only 70, they graduated 150,000 scientists. We have 1,500,000 scientists. 
Somebody says, we're still ahead. They only have 1,300,000. But you see, none of their scientists is spending his time designing fishtails for automobiles. Or new shapes for ironers. Or new models for refrigerators. They have no chemist in Russia who is spending any time on perfume or cosmetics. Their scientists are working on science. We probably have several hundred thousand scientists in the United States that are totally worthless to our nation because we have chosen to have new model fishing rods so that our laborers who now work but 40 hours a week will be able to spend, as they did this year, $2 billion in fishing and hunting. I love to fish. I've done a lot of fishing in my youth, less as time has gone on, simply because I've had other things to do. But any nation that spends its time going fishing and spends its time thinking of new model cars is doomed to defeat. If we are ultimately destroyed, it will be because we chose the good way of life. It will be because we thought that it was perfectly permissible for us to spend our time and our engineers on new models of textiles and new methods of having everything that we wished, soft and easy. We have so many things now that work on pushing a button that we only need one button that will make all the buttons that have to push, push. For the problem of keeping all our gadgets in order is now taking a tremendous toll of our population. There has never been so foolish a nation. Frederick Robertson, an English preacher a hundred years ago, wrote a paragraph describing the scene as it was in the French Revolution. You've seen pictures of the hairdresses of the women with their high pompadours. They spent almost every woman of palace society spent three or four hours a day at the hairdressers. And they seemed astonished when suddenly they were taken by the crowd and had their hair dressed for them at the expense of the state just before they had the guillotine cut their heads off. Why should anything come like that to them? And our nation is much in the same way. We're concerned about the new cars, the new models, the turn-ins, the new gadgets, the turn in the old and get the new. And we do not realize that there is a there is now a tremendously rising percentage of possibility that we shall be destroyed. And I believe that it is the duty of every minister of the word of God so to teach his people that if this time comes and if you suddenly have heard wherever you are the warning that you've got to start for the Poconos in high heels walking because there'll be no gas left and no cars moving and you'll walk 200 miles. And if these things come to pass that you should understand that God has said that we're not to be concerned, worried about these things. 
There shall be wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. Now, this is not, as I said seven weeks ago in completing my previous sermon, this is not the lackadaisical total putting aside of concern that is the part of the moron who says, oh, yes, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Put another nickel in the slot and let her rock. This is not the unconcern of that type of thing. There shall be wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. This means see that your joy in Christ be not disturbed. See that the peace that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and live your life as a witness against the civilization in which we're living. For undoubtedly our our civilization is the most godless that this world has ever produced. When measured against the demands of the word of God for holiness, for righteousness, for love of a world that is starving to death. For don't forget it, while we are sitting in this church, don't forget it. There are more than one billion people in this minute who are hungry. They are hungry. And I mean they are hungry. There are undoubtedly tens of thousands of people dying of starvation at this minute in China and India. Such things must needs be, says Christ in the next verse, in the next clause. Such things must needs be. Why must they be? In fact, the atheist, the skeptic, comes and says, if there's a God, why doesn't he take care of the world? God says, these things must need be, because for the same reason that I put Adam out of the Garden of Eden, so that he would not take of the tree of life and live forever in comfortable ease against God, so, says God, I must, must, must allow civilization to destroy itself in order to bring to mankind the lesson that hope is not in education. Hope is not in science. Righteousness cannot come by law. Men must submit to God, and men will not submit to God. These things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. Now we must understand what the end is at this time. When it says the end, it's not talking about the end of our age. For now comes in this and that which will follow and which we'll treat next Sunday, the Lord willing. There is the end of the great tribulation period. If there are those here who do not know the outline of prophecy, let me say in two words that we live here in 1957 and we do not know whether the distance be long or short that shall begin the great prophetic picture. But the Lord will remove all believers from the earth and then shall come to pass in this world the situation described in the book of Revelation, the great tribulation that shall be seen. And we living here do not know when the Lord will take us away. We must be ready. We must watch. We must look for him. But as we look round about us, we can also see how near we are to where the world is ultimately going. Several years ago, when I was in India, we were traveling in the south of India on a railroad train coming up from the Travancore coast and going on up to Uti in the Nilgiri Hills where 
From the hot plains, the missionaries come there, tired and wan and almost wrecked in order to get a little rest at a higher altitude. Sunset came. And just as Kipling tells us in The Road to Mandalay that the dawn comes up like thunder, so night comes down like a great hood because you see you're on the equator and the sun goes down and there is no twilight, no dawn in the tropics. It's light and 10 minutes later it is dark. There is never any slow changing of the day and the night that we know in northern or far southern latitudes. And in that particular case, not too far north of the equator, there near the southern tip of India, we were going along in a train and it was as bright as midday. And then five minutes later, it was totally dark and a storm came up. And our train went on and it began to rain as it can only rain in the tropics. And we knew that from our map and from the general description as we were going uphill that we were entering the hills and climbing. And we pressed our faces to the window and we could see out into the darkness, of course, no villages with electric lights, absolutely nothing. But suddenly there came a great flash of lightning. And in that lightning, even after it had gone, there was, you might say, etched upon our eyelids for our, us to look at the outline of what we'd just seen. And then came another flash of lightning and as we looked, we could see the ranges of mountains. We could see the outline of trees. We could see what lay before us. And it's something in that way that we live today. We live here now and we're in the darkness. As God says, the night is far spent, but it's yet night. Christ went away. He was the light of the world. And when he went to heaven, the world is in darkness. And the only light that the world has is that which is reflected from us. And suddenly, this, in this night, there is a blinding flash and we see a glimpse. A satellite goes up. An atomic bomb has exploded. Men announce that they have pressed a button and a missile has shot out 500 miles at sea and has met an airplane that was a tiny speck has hunted it out and met it head on and destroyed it. This has happened. And we who live here, we look at these things and we say, yes, this is as God says. The end is coming and all of these things are going to come to pass. Verse 8, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Turkey, Syria, Arabia, Israel, Egypt, Russia, Poland, Hungary, Vietnam, North and South Korea. Our wars come along as often as streetcars or buses. There they are, another, another, another. And there are more around the corner. Do not think that any of our politicians are going to be able to bring us to a place where everything will be kind and lovely, as long as we have in the United States villainous beasts of the Hoffa type in Teamsters Union and of the garbage type 
in the New York area. They haven't found our garbage in Philadelphia. But you can be sure of the fact that somebody's in on the rackets, as they are every place else. And as long as men is what, are what they are, they're this way here, they're that way there. The only difference is that here, the gospel is everywhere at their touch, if they will receive it. Well, already, over the United States today, in this morning hour, there have already been at least 10 or 15 coast-to-coast -coast broadcasts. There hasn't been a minute since 7 o'clock, at least, that anyone who wished could find the gospel at almost five or ten places on the radio band if he wished to have it. And the nation has not wished to have it. We are under no illusion. When we stand in front of a microphone and broadcast, as someone once put it, the Catholics are at mass, the Protestants are in bed, and only a few people are up to listen. We recognize that people are not interested. Christ said it, ye will not come to me that ye might have life. And the nations rise and there's more around the corner and we're apathetic. There shall be earthquakes in divers places. By when you read the scientific articles, what they have discovered in the last few years since radar has been able to bounce beams back off the bottom of the ocean. Why, our continents are on the edges of drops that sometimes in the course of a mile or two go deeper into the ocean than Mount Everest is up on top. Do you know that if you took and sliced Asia at the ocean level and lifted Mount Everest and put it in the ocean, that the top of Mount Everest would still be 2,000 feet below the top of the water? That's how deep the ocean is. And always there are little slips and the city falls, especially around Japan and California and South America and a few other places near at hand for wherever our shores are, why right down off the coast of Florida within a hundred miles, the deepest place that the world knows anything about is to be found right there. There shall be earthquakes. The new scientific development, all that they know about the Great Rift. If you look at a map of the world, look sometime over on the east, near the east coast of Africa and see those lakes, fingers that come like that. There's only one place for them to go, to come right up next to the Red Sea and the Dead Sea by Jerusalem. And those lakes are so deep. Oh, yes, they're up in the mountains, but sometimes being up in the mountains, they're 15,000 feet deep. Right there, lakes. It's the great rift. The Bible says that an earthquake's going to come and that this land of Palestine will be split so that Jerusalem will become a seaport. This is in the book of Ezekiel. And that fresh water will flow into the Dead Sea so that fish will come there as in the place where there were the most fish. There shall be earthquakes in divers places. There shall be famines and troubles. Famines. Oh, we read about them, you know. We see what's happened in China this year, and we say, how terrible. For China has had the worst of famines and the worst of floods, troubles. 
All these are the beginnings of sorrow. I wonder how many of us realize when we see pictures of reservoirs in northern New Jersey without any water. I wonder how many of us realize that the Bible says that in the last days I will take away your stay of water. I wrote an article a few years ago about the fact that as our civilization goes on, oh yes, we have more bathtubs than any nation in the world. And the result is that we're now, for our 180 million people in this country, using on an average of how many thousand gallons per person? Do you know how much water it takes to make the steel that's in one automobile? Something like 250,000 gallons for each automobile. And how much it takes for a refrigerator? Do you know that it takes over a thousand gallons for every yard of nylon? And our factories go deeper and the water table sinks and the springs run dry and the nation says, what are we going to do and can we take ocean water? And Isaiah chapter 2 says, it shall come to pass in the last day that I will take away the stay of water. These are the beginnings of sorrows. I didn't write this. It was Jesus Christ that said that the troubles of this world are going to go into high gear. Now let's face it. The troubles of this world are going into high gear. And we as Christians must be ready to face it and we must have spiritual force to do it. Because if you have nothing more than a formal religion, it will crack under pressure. If you take steel with a flaw in it and put pressure on it, the steel will crack. If you take a Christian with a flaw in his spiritual relation to Christ and you put him in a place where he has to live in the winter time, maybe, pray that your flight be not in the winter. My, how some of these things come to life that Jesus said as he saw fleeing multitudes, as he saw all of these things coming to pass. In verse 9 says, but take heed to yourselves. And this is the last clause I want to speak of before we come to the benediction. Take heed to yourselves. Take heed. Warning. How silly people are. Our traffic people say that as long as they put up signs by the road, you might lose your life. People said it won't happen to me, and they put on the accelerator and went around the corner. They didn't cut it down until they put up signs, you lose your license. And people took more concern over you lose your license than you will you lose your life. Because to them, the highway police and the losing of the license was more imminent over them than was the possibility of that. Take heed to yourself. Now this taking heed to the self is God telling us to get ourselves in a spiritual relationship that will take the blows, and I won't say if they come, when they come. And if someone says to me, but Dr. Barnhouse, the Bible everywhere says the church will be taken out before the great tribulation. Yes. But that doesn't mean it will be taken out before tribulation. The great tribulation is one thing. Tribulation is another. 
The Germans were not taken out before the bombings. London Christians did not, were not taken from heaven, uh, were not taken to heaven before the buzz bombs and the first jet missiles came over and destroyed the cities. The French were not taken out, the French Christians, before they had to flee before the German hordes. The Russian Christians were not taken out before Stalin destroyed them. What about the 600 Presbyterian ministers that were murdered in North Korea and all the other Christians who were so ruthlessly pursued by the communists? They weren't taken out. The only nation practically in the world that has escaped the tremendous crushing of calamity and catastrophe is our own. And shall we escape? Is it that God is so pleased with the distillers and their sale of liquor that he's so pleased with the labor unions and their racketeering that he is so pleased with Hollywood and all of its great moral leadership that God is so pleased with it that he'll say, well, lovey-dovey America, you certainly are nice. This is a piece of heaven and I'll give you a little bit more. Take heed to yourselves. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, was what Christ prophesied. They that live godly in Christ Jesus, we saw in our scripture reading, shall suffer persecution. Let's get near to Christ. Let's remember that he put us here for this purpose. Oh, when Paul came... They said up in Thessalonica, these men that have turned the world upside down have come thither. But you see, they forgot this one fact, that from their point of view, their world was turned upside down. But from God's point of view, Paul was really turning it right side up. What is right side up and upside down? This is the thing we have to consider. Take heed to yourselves. Is your spiritual life upside down or is it right side up? Are you seriously building strength of character? Are you seriously building that which would give you a spiritual stamina that could face guided missiles if they were guided to Philadelphia and exploded somewhere here? Oh, we'll get along all right. We'll muddle through. Yes, muddlers have said they would muddle through before. But calamities have come, and the Lord Jesus says, the end shall not be yet. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Take heed to yourself. And this is the lesson I must give you. This is the conclusion with which I must end. Take heed to yourself. Well, what can we do about it? You can't do a thing about it. Just keep on paying your taxes to prepare more debt, and to elect, no matter whom you elect, they're going to say, we have the power, we have the strength, we can do it. No matter what happens, there will be those that will say in the last paragraph, looking unto God, but they will not be telling people that the trust must be in God and not in missiles. Take heed to yourselves. And I believe that the necessary thing for every one of us is that we should go to God quietly let me suggest this, and then we'll come to our closing hymn. Sometime today, write down on a piece of paper the following. 
inventory of my spiritual life, November 17, 1957. My prayer habits as of this date are the following, and write it down. My Bible study habits as of November 17th are the following. If great disaster came upon our country at this time, my spiritual attitude is the following. This is what I am today. Then seal it up and put it in an envelope. Write your name on it and say to be opened on November 17th, 1958. And then a year from now, write out another one before you open that envelope. And when you write it, write it, then open the other and compare it and see what you do in the next year. Or see whether you are really more concerned about your pleasures, about your plans, about what you can do, about what you can buy, about what you can wear, about what you can have, about what you can see, about what you can do for yourself. You got to go deep. Take heed to yourself. Let us bow in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank thee that our times are in thine hands. We thank thee for the comfort that thou didst give us before thou didst give us the warning, for this is thy method, comfort first and warning second. Comfort, be not troubled, rest in Christ. Be not troubled, I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Lord, keep us from being cheap in our Christian life. Help us indeed to put first things first, Christ the preeminent. And wilt thou continue this sermon that we have just begun? Wilt thou continue it by thy Holy Spirit? In the hearts of thy people, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.